You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This week, kind of a bookkeeping general tidy up episode. Uh, basically, now that paper play is more or less in full swing again, we've got RCQ season yes. going, we've got conventions, we've got Command Fest, we've got all this stuff coming back. What does that do for the LGS? Yeah. Not just in Magic, but in everything. Mm -hmm. Digimon's got competitive going. Yu-Gi-Oh's got stuff going again. Just kind of a catch-up on how things are looking, and that's basically where we're at. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, right up at the top, one of the things I was curious about was, like you said, the return of paper play. What is the non-tournament ecosystem like at the LGS? Because we know that as long as there are tournaments, generally speaking, people are coming in from them. They could be FNMs, they could be something more serious, but that brings foot traffic. So what is the, the non-tournament time? So it's kind of been more directed, right? You've had you've been forced to get more organized. So we have like dedicated EDH nights, mm -hmm. and those have seen a lot more foot traffic across the board. Every LGS I've talked to in the area, uh, and a couple yeah. other areas, you know, East Coast, Pacific Northwest, they're seeing a lot more people brought in by casual EDH. Uh, you know, COVID did one thing for the entrenched players, but. The existence of Arena and Moto also allowed people to see all this content and say, hey, I'm going to check it out. And they're kind of getting out of, you know, the comfort of playing on web cameras and saying, I want to come out. I want to see what it's like. I mean, in the last month, I've probably had eight or nine people come in and say, hey, uh, so I heard about, you know, this game. I kind of want to get into it. If me and my girlfriend or me and my friends want to play, how do we do it? Yeah. Uh, and just get them set up generally with Commander. It's the easiest thing for them to do. They can have a pre-con deck. They're not all at the same power level realistically, but it lets them do the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they naturally progress into, all right, well, where else can I play? Well, we have EDH nights here. Mm -hmm. uh, and that foot traffic has certainly increased compared to pre-COVID. Nice. Now, uh, commander events generally are kind of unstructured events. But when it comes to more structured events like FNM or let's say Tuesday night draft or Wednesday night uh, Pokemon, what does interest in those kind of events look like right now? So generally, uh, I will say Pioneer has been increasing in popularity a lot locally. Uh, we are still seeing, and I know I've said this multiple times on the podcast in St. Louis, modern is, always will be, always has been king. Uh, we've got multiple stores firing modern the same night. They all get 10 to 20 people. Uh, that has definitely stayed true. What's been really interesting is, you know, Pioneer has actually fired at stores. Uh, Popper is firing at stores. There's been more interest for kind of like the fringe formats. Okay. Because I think what you're seeing is the people that are getting into this from the casual mindset. Uh, don't really care about pro tour formats. They don't Correct. care about, yeah. you know, 
the grind. Uh, they see that modern is basically as expensive as legacy was at one time. And they're like, all right, well, let me see some of this other stuff that I can do. I don't want to do standard cause that's on arena. So let's try popper. Let's try pioneer. Let's try, you know, pre-modern. Yeah. Uh, and you've seen a lot more people starting to show up for that. And that's translated across multiple games as well. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was curious about because there's a lot of people seeing, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh sales right now and there's a lot of talk about how Yu-Gi-Oh might overtake or has overtaken Magic from a sales perspective but don't know seemingly why and there's kind of a renaissance in Yu-Gi-Oh right now that a lot of yep. people are getting into where they're player hosted formats things like Edison which I can't describe because I don't know what it is and then th there is this revolution before Edison maybe by about six months to a year where players essentially created a kind of old school format yeah. Where it was like Yu-Gi-Oh! one set up to a certain point in the ban list and they were playing that because the way Yu-Gi-Oh! works is it's all the cards all the time unless they're banned. Yep. And so that kind of crushes decks over time. Yeah, so GOAT is... You That's know, it, the GOAT format. Yeah, yeah, the GOAT format, which is a play on words because the format at the time was defined by the card Scapegoat. Yep. Uh, it is also generally regarded as the healthiest Yu-Gi-Oh! ever banned. And it's like... 2004 to 2007-ish era, mm -hmm. and Edison's a little bit later than that. Uh, GOAT is so popular that there were literally, like, there's a GOAT Worlds, there's GOAT GPs, mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, GOAT Nationals, uh, and Edison's starting to pick up, too, and that's kind of what's driven it, is, mm -hmm. you know, first we saw it in Magic, you know, pre-COVID, there was the old-school boom, the middle-school boom, the pre-modern boom, all that stuff, and it's just made its way into, you know, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh!, and obviously... As you're familiar, Rain Dance dominated early Pokemon. There's people that play Watsy era Pokemon. Yes. Uh, there's also people that play the you know Neo era. Yep. So it's you're seeing these players that are kind of entrenched and they've been playing for a while get back to these older times when they were like, man, this game was so much fun back then. It was so cool. And you're also seeing people that just, hey, you know, that was the time that I actually played Yu-Gi-Oh. And now people are playing it again. And I don't care about the game outside of that. I'm going to play that time period. Yeah. And that's also caused a lot more foot traffic and people to start coming in and saying, hey, tell me about this format. I heard about it. I think I used to play it. Let's see how it's going. Yeah. So. The, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because from what I've been seeing on social media, there are a lot of parallels between Edison and the old school Magic format. And that the, those parallels are that this is a player driven format that generally happens where you can drink alcohol. Yeah. Like, a lot of old-school events in New England happened at bars, like, yeah. tw two or three times a week. And they're dedicated bars. One of them in the greater Boston area, I think, is named Boogies. Yeah. Uh, and so I wasn't sure if those alternative formats were kind of bringing people in or, like, trying to generate interest. Because, from my understanding, these are player-generated formats. They're not Konami-supported formats, which means you have to have a store basically just dedicating time to free play. Yeah. And it might not be a great time to sell singles. So curious so about we that. And what you've actually started to see with GOAT is places run GOAT tournaments. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you know, your standard skins, basically, you know, store credit, whatever. Oat. And uh, one thing that Konami has done is they're allowing OTS packs. Uh, so they're starting to see the relevance of this format and starting to support it. So okay. some stores have started doing OTS packs for GOAT events okay, so we might... um, because they do allow them to be sanctioned. Okay, so we might start seeing an increase in those in various pockets where Yu-Gi-Oh! is still popular. Like, yeah. A lot of people I know are, are in New York City and California, so obviously you get the, those communities who are very healthy and like uh, extra-national pop culture. So yeah. you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! hugely popular in, in those populations. Now... This might be a question based on the past, but 
have, have you guys hosted your RCQ yet? Uh, yes, so we did host our RCQ. Now, the RCQ system has been very interesting. Yes. Uh, planning was real easy. Okay. DreamHack literally reached out to the stores in the St. Louis area, and there's like a two-month window where you can schedule your RCQ. Uh, DreamHack gave each store two weekends to pick from, and it was a different two weekends for some stores. You know, yep. obviously, with 20-something stores, there's going to be overlap. Yes, yeah. But basically, the ones that wanted to host an RCQ, they said, these are your two weekends, pick one, mm -hmm. which was great. Because stores don't communicate mm -hmm. uh, or didn't prior to COVID. Now they're starting to. We're trying to communicate. There's even events where, you know, uh, like my store ran a pupper win a duel and second place got free entry into a win a duel at a separate store. And they gave their second place free entry into a win a duel at a different store yep. uh, that was on a different weekend just to kind of like get stores talking, communicating with each other, and helping, you know, feed the community yeah, because yeah. it's gotten a lot more back to you know we recognize wizards doesn't give a shit they do not care about us as stores so if we want to live and thrive we need to care about the community so that's what we're doing mm -hmm. is we're going after the community and saying look let's you know see what we got and make it work okay uh so it sounded like it's pretty easy overall and i guess especially from the planning perspective. I thought that would have been a lot harder. I didn't realize DreamHack made that immediate outreach. So that's interesting to hear. But what about the sentiment regarding the RCQs, both internal to the store, so like the staff, and then the player sentiment? So the it's been fairly positive. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've noticed with some of the international people is that it's been less positive because when you win your RCQ in some areas and get your entry into the tournament, uh, even though Wizards says they're providing the money, some people are still being required to pay entry fee at their regional championship. Uh, and that sentiment has been largely negative. Yeah. But overall, it's been really good. Most people are happy to have a grind again. Yes. Uh, you know, it's been the NRG series, the Star City Tour, when that existed. Uh, and that's kind of it. Okay. So now there's this more approachable LGS level grind that you can do, yeah. similar to when, you know, PTQs and GPTs existed. Yeah. Uh, it's like a nice stepping stone into the comp rel yeah, world. So let's stick on that for a second. At, so from the player perspective, if you're happy about the grind, you're happy about the grind. Not every player is going to enjoy it. Some just want to stay local and play after yeah. until the day they die. Internally to the store, now that you have seen that there's a path for people to grind to, are you happy that there are events for you to host that people can grind Yes, because it means that if these events are firing and people are doing it, there is still a desire for comp rel high payout in-store events. Yes. Okay. Which makes it a lot better because like those those events obviously you're not you're not making money, but you get good buys and they're very good advertising. Yeah. Uh, because it's the kind of thing where you may not know who a certain, who a particular store is. But after you go to a 10K one or two times at their store, you start to see their name on TCG Player. You start to recognize them yeah. and like, oh, you know, hey, you've got a mat from that event. Mm -hmm. I was at that event. And you may pay a little bit more attention and pay a little bit extra to buy from them in the future because, oh, look, they threw that awesome 10K. Mm -hmm. Or it's just the kind of thing where if you're, you know, 30 to 45 minutes away you show up for the 10K and you see a stacked case, well, maybe, you know what, I'm going to be nearby. I'll go 5 to 10, 15 minutes out of my way to swing by and see if they have the cards that I want. Yeah. 
Uh, so it's it allows those events to exist to get those like spiky people in mm-hmm. and to get that free advertising because that's honestly you know the retired grinders is what I like to call them the people that love the high payout events but you know we're in our 30s we have families yeah, yeah. we're still good at the game we just don't have time to grind show up for those events and they have more money they spend more money they care more about the community the environment matters a lot more to them and those are the people that to me they're not going to be your everyday customers but they'll be your loyal customers yeah and that goes a long way okay that that's kind of what i what i was hoping to hear was that there was from a store that sells singles the expectation that these are going to be good now and in the future for all yeah. of the, the reasons you listed now uh, you mentioned a little bit of an answer to this next question up top and that's our other games picking up in store and you mentioned you already mentioned that there's a tournament scene now for things like digimon i don't know if dragon ball super still has anything but and th- this this kind of spans the gamut card games to board games yeah uh it's you know again COVID was great because a lot of people were stuck at home playing board games. COVID was not great, but that was a benefit of COVID. Sorry, let me correct that. Uh, people were at home playing board games, playing card games. Now they wouldn't get out and do this stuff. Yeah. So Digimon has been very, very good. Uh, it is a very well-designed game. They are committed to a competitive structure. If I am being completely honest, I am real worried about the longevity of the game because of the power creep. Hmm. It went from zero to 100 real fast. Yeah. Uh, and you can't keep that up. Correct. You know, eventually you've got to pull it back, and it's can you pull it back in a way that's effective enough that it doesn't disenfranchise your players. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Digimon is still doing very well. Flesh and Blood has kind of fallen off. Uh, MetaZoo still has the competitive scene, but not a local scene. Mm-hmm. And Dragon Ball is same thing. Yeah. Competitive scene, not a local scene. Oh, okay. Uh, but you've seen a lot more people ask about these new games now, which is good. Yeah. Uh, so we do have people asking about Flesh and Blood, asking about MetaZoo, asking about, you know, Digimon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's been very interesting to see. And it's definitely had an uptick in the last couple months. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, for me, it's always been that Dragon Ball has had a local scene, not a competitive scene, because there are, you know, eight people that will come together. They'll each buy a case at new set release and then play a tournament afterwards while cracking their packs. Oh, you know, fair, just, yeah. And it, it almost is feels like the uh, the 40k crowd, where they just yeah. get together and they just drink and bullshit until whatever game they're playing it is over. And it's, it's great because that means that that store doesn't need to bring in a lot of product, but it does mean that that could eventually wither and die because there's not a whole lot of interest in it yeah. locally. Uh, Fab is, is kind of interesting to look at because... Their tournament scene seems fairly vibrant, but the way that they ban cards from constructed play is a little interesting after it only wins so many events, but the way they've changed their print model might help that. It seems like a game that is continuing its stranglehold on card prices, whereby things are going to become artificially expensive because of these bannings, when you have to shift off that deck to another one because somebody wanted the you know, the third large event in a row or whatever it is with your hero. So now you have to pivot. And yep. that seems like it could cause some friction later on. Um, but it, it's good to see that everything's kind of keeping up. Now, yeah. to go back to Commander, this is kind of a checkup on things. You've mentioned a handful of times on the cast how you have helped people build various decks, spanning the gamut from I just want to ramp to fatties to life gain. 
do a lot of those players stick around in store, like specifically the people that ask for help building decks? So the people that have asked for help building decks, uh, so far they've been the invisibles. Okay. But they have come back. So they build a deck. Yep. You know, hey, I want help with this. Uh, there was one I specifically remember. He was like, I like drawing cards and ramping. Uh, and I was like, okay, uh, well, you know, what else do you like? And he's like, well, you know, I, I want to be a little bit different. Like, I want to do something that, you know, makes a bunch of creatures. I was like, okay, well, let's let's build you a Layla, uh, the, the fairy that makes one-ones when you cast something. Okay. Uh, and he loved the deck. Came back a couple days later and said, okay, you know what? I want to kick this up a couple power levels. Uh, you know, I... I've got a little bit more money to spend. I want to get like a force of will. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a couple days, like a week later, came back and said, okay, you know, I've got some more money. I'm going to start getting better lands. Yep. What fetch lands do you have? Um, Nibbling and up been the a, chain, basically. Ex exactly. Yeah. And that, that's been most of the people that I've seen that have come in to build decks. They haven't come into play. Yep. They just play at their house with their friends, but they're starting to have that like brand loyalty mm -hmm. of, oh, this is my LGS. They may not provide me with a place to play, but they provide me with the cards to play, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And seeing that locally is something that I haven't really seen in years Yeah. Uh, outside of people who were literally walking distance from the store, you know. And even then, they'd come in and play. Yeah. So that, that has been very interesting to see. This is a, that answer is exactly what I expected, by the way. Yeah. Uh, because in my mind, somebody who... <clears throat> When it comes to Commander, at least, it used to be just general constructed before. Comes into the LGS and says, I want to build a deck that does this. Yeah. They're not coming back to play. They're taking that deck back to their kitchen table where they will play with their friends who also do not use available resources to build their own to build their own decks. They're going to go to the LGS and talk to somebody there because they're a subject matter expert of yeah. what's going on at the LGS. And... I would have been more surprised if you told me that those players came in more often than not, even as a play group to play in this space, because it seemed like very much an invisible thing to do. And I was hoping to get the answer we did to kind of kind of continue to drive home the fact that there are still a ton of invisibles that move everything forward from yeah. online sales to the LGS. And it's important to make sure that you work with them because if you push them away they're not going to be those return customers that you're talking about your invisibles that come in to buy boxes at set releases aren't going to continue to do that and just be you know bags of money with eyes for you if yeah. you push them away so it's and it's it's interesting because touching on that you and i always talk about how the invisibles are you know what drive this mm -hmm. uh and you know outside of an lgs environment when you hear that you're just like oh it's just you know some guy uh but actually you know they're visible just yeah, in yeah, a very yeah. different way it's, it is the equivalent of the comic book subscription it your, is yeah comic subscriptions should in theory pay your rent every month on your store everything after that is profit the invisibles yep. are essentially the magical the tcg equivalent of your subscriptions yep they come in when they need to come in, and then you never see them again. But as long as you treat them right, we're going to keep buying from you, and that's what yeah. you want. Um, now, we've talked about Commander a lot at the store, and it sounds like you guys have a Commander presence, like a dedicated night or space yeah. or something like that. But, which, and I, I guess at this point, that seems more common than not. Like, 
Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, there's some stores that have just the open play days where people just hang out and you'll see people playing, you know, here's, oh, we'll jam a game of Popper. But then inevitably it ends up in EDH. Yeah. And this was kind of a a dead air question because I expect this is the same for all LGSs. You pick a night of the week, you invite your commander players down, they're going to come in and jam. My LGS, when they were doing Constructed before COVID, it was Monday night and the place would just be stacked. There would be like six person games going regardless of the fact that everyone took 18 hours. And there's another LGS that does it on Sundays all day, and it's just free-to-play pods, but they yeah. are doing a point system to try and get people to come back. And I, I don't, they win essentially the magic equivalent of flock. I don't know what it is, but it's basically, sure, yeah. well, exactly, it's some oh, zero-cost overhead item yeah. that they're going to win. But I think this is, ex- you can't not. No, I those those are the guys that you know. They may only spend ten dollars, but if they spend ten dollars, they spend ten dollars every time they're in there. Yeah. Or they may be the guys that spend a thousand dollars once every three months. But guess what? They're spending a thousand dollars every three months, so you've exactly. got to get them in there. Yeah. Uh, and then the the last question before we dive into some more heady stuff is: Are people excited to be back playing games at the LGS? So again, gamut board games, the card games, whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. Um, and it's definitely something I've seen where, you know, I've seen people when I've gone to play somewhere and I'm like, oh man, I haven't seen you in literally two years. Yeah. Uh, and just like good to see friends again. There's a lot of people that I know all over the country that got out and are getting back in and they're like, man, I actually really miss this because like I get to hang out with friends and like shoot the shit Yep. and it just feels fun. Yeah. Uh, and it, it feels a lot more like when you first started playing mm-hmm. and it was all exciting and fun. And yeah. it's it's that, and that's just a good thing to have, I think. I, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And I, what is magic? What is magic without the gathering? At the end yeah. of the day, and it doesn't matter what the gathering is. It could just be you know big grill and big chilling at somebody's house. It, yeah, that's the gathering. Now to get a little more heady, only a couple of questions here, but a little. This is kind of finance driven, so this sure. is probably what a lot of people are interested in. Uh, margins and cash flow. Since let's say. The announcement of RCQs, which was like six months or so ago, do you have any idea, like in that period, now that Magic's kind of ratcheted up or seeing competitive events? Uh, I think it's it's anecdotally looked better, uh, definitely, and evidentially, evident, in an evidentiary manner, it has also looked better. Okay. Uh, the fact that competitive is back uh, is good because it made Pioneer cards profitable, <laughs> uh, which weren't necessarily profitable before. Uh, I also think, you know, it's been profitable thus far. It may not be for very much longer or more profitable thus far. It may not be for very much longer because of how the economy is looking. Hmm. Which we'll talk about later on. I was actually kind of assuming that you would say once people had bought everything they need for Pioneer or Modern, that things might slow down a little bit because once you buy in, you buy in. But yeah. That makes sense. So so there is a definitive difference between what we were seeing like during COVID and now. And this is going to be a little more expansive, iterating on this. Maybe we don't have a good idea. What about prior to COVID? So it's looking like COVID was one of the best things that happened to mm-hmm. stores that existed online yeah. uh, in terms of financial value. Um, prices exploded. We all saw it. We saw $1,000 dual lands on buy lists. That was insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not that good. It's better than it was prior to COVID, but it's also different. Yeah. You know, rather than having your high-end stuff churn, you're in that sweet 10 to $50 spot now. Okay. Uh, you know, I, honestly, I have sold more mana vaults out yeah. of 
double masters than I have imperial seals. Even though way more people were excited about imperial seal, seal yeah. than were mana vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, just price point, it's incredibly more liquid, and that that may be just because of you know overall economy. People don't want to drop a buck twenty on a card when they can get a mana vault for multiple decks but for exactly. the same price. One mana vault know? goes in every one of your decks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and, and to, to to kind of tag on to this. There was kind of a change before COVID where, like you mentioned, Pioneer wasn't really profitable. We had Standard. Now we don't have Standard. We have Pioneer. So those have kind of like taken the place of one another. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the interesting thing there is that because of Pioneer uh, and how the format works, it's made a lot of cards that were sitting in bulk value. And to me, that's way more worthwhile than something that's sitting in Standard because if you're playing Standard, you're paying attention. Uh, if you're playing Pioneer, you might not be paying attention, and you may just have a bunch of bulk you sell to someone that you don't recognize what's in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you mentioned stories that, that existed online prior to COVID, so this question kind of talks about some other things. Have you been forced to change any procedures for new sales avenues? So this is the digital storefront you just mentioned, or maybe hooking into Amazon, eBay, whatnot. So I've noticed that some stores, what they've started doing, because there's a couple stores that literally don't sell online because they do enough business in store. Oh, okay. Uh, They've started inventorying singles, even if they're not listing them online because of the increased exposure. Uh, You know, everybody knows about this game now. The news hasn't been shy about the profitability of the trading card industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's articles on CNN, everything. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely been some people that have picked up and have since had to drop Amazon because of their accounts getting banned, whatever. That's a Pokemon bulk thing separate from that. Mm. Uh, the really interesting procedure has been how places are handling eBay. Uh, because of eBay's counterfeiting program now. The eBay grading? Yeah, the, the, e- the eBay certification. certification. Uh, okay. So any card over a certain dollar amount, like 100 150 something like that, gets sent off to CGC by eBay, they authenticate it, they don't put it in a slab, Mm -hmm. and then they ship it to you. Yep. Uh, And the reason that that's had to change is because they will hold your money until the card is authenticated. Oh, okay. So for stores that were heavily reliant on consistent eBay income, all of a sudden there's a little bit of a delay in that. Yeah. So it's changed how they've listed, and some of them have moved back to TCG Player and just started paying less. Yep. Uh, some of them moved to Amazon, and some of them have moved to Whatnot. Uh, now, there's a couple stores I know that went on Whatnot, and they basically just hired a break staff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is a separate inventory from everything else, or it's high-end inventory that's been sitting for a bit, and they're just like, yeah, we'll see what we can do. Yep. So just for anybody who hasn't heard about Whatnot, from my understanding, it is basically the streaming service that companies utilize when they do box breaks. Yeah. for anything and this stuff used to be on twitch channel fireball used to do it there and now people are moving to this dedicated service so it's essentially twitch but for box breaks yeah right uh and it's it's for people that don't have their own platform to do it so okay. like blez breaks steel city latent breaks those guys are all big enough already that they don't need the whatnot exposure but whatnot mm-hmm. is literally okay. like the tcg player of breaks yeah. you can be an absolute nobody schlub and do breaks on whatnot yeah, it's not like Post Malone is a nobody, but Post Malone is not known for box breaking. So when Post Malone shows up on whatnot and says, I'm going to break boxes and also choose a name out of a hat to play EDH against, like. If you win, run Thoracle. 
Yeah, we don't understand why. You and I were talking about this. We just yeah. don't. You just run Thoracle. Yeah, my my assumption he's not going to play Mariki Barrett as the control deck. He would also be playing Thoracle because Mariki is Esper. So why not? Why not just play? Yeah, it, it would be Mariki or Zur. And if yeah. he does Zur, it's going to be the Thoracle Zur. Yeah, just be prepared for it. Yeah, get all your free counters. And the the last question I have, I want to make I want to make sure we we talk about non magic items here. So this is a a question about supply chain issues and whether or not you're feeling them for other elements in the shop. So this is more than just gaming, but supplies as well. A, a lot of people should know that for the last two or three years, top loaders have been very difficult to get to the point where there are some people selling chunks of used and new inventory for inflated prices on yep. Facebook in magic groups. So there are still some supply chain issues. It's very interesting. So ultra pro for anyone that doesn't know, is basically the de facto manufacturer that everyone uses for plastics for cards. Yeah. Top loaders, sleeves, one touches, yeah. screw down, you name it, clamshells, yeah. everything. Uh, Ultra Pro still doesn't have top loaders. They have everything else in their product line. Top loaders are impossible to find. Uh, we're starting to feel a little bit of a squeeze on semi-rigids, which are mm. the larger... Here, I have one right here. It's like a team bag, but rigid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got that tab this is on what, top. Yeah. yeah, this is what people use to send in for grading. They'll slide the card in here, mail it like this. Mm -hmm. um, and you're starting to see that get a bit of a squeeze. One of the most interesting things as far as like supply chain issues uh, is some of the drop-based services that do like specialty deck boxes and specialty play mats and stuff like that. Oh. So they do drops on their sites, and you have to be on there, and then you can get one. Okay. And then they'll release them to wholesalers. They've stopped releasing them to wholesalers in some cases because of their supply issues. Got it. Uh, so now all of a sudden you're seeing this fringe accessory market, which think Spellground mats, basically. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, all of a sudden that's exploding because you can't get it from an LGS anymore. You've got to be on when the drop drops. Yep. And if you miss out, it's just like a shoe raffle. Mm -hmm. If you miss out on your Yeezy size 9, you better be ready to pay at least twice as much. Yeah. Because that's how it is. And that's been one of the biggest supply chain things that we've had to deal with is some of the like accessories and stuff like that. And then specifically Ultra Pro top loaders and any semi rigids. Yeah. And we know from Magic there's some varying delays and sets and that's whatever. Uh, the Pokemon company has mentioned a number of times that things are going on with print runs for their sets. And I assume a lot of that's similar through the rest of the games. One of the things that I don't have eyes on is the board game market, but I, I feel like sales on those things can be so glacial that you won't really feel it until you have something yeah. break out, like when Ascension came out and you just couldn't get it because everybody was buying Ascension. Unless you have a game like that come out, I don't. it seems like you wouldn't really feel that in the board game community. And the, the, the last question before picks to... Duff, to actually chain off of that is is any of that actually impacting your bottom line by a reasonable amount not really uh especially the semi-rigid and ultra pro top loaders is kind of strange because other companies have been able to pick up the slack mm -hmm. so and that's the really bizarre thing like there's this company cardboard gold mm -hmm. uh you can get their top loaders so readily that stores are doing case discounts on them damn but you can't get ultra pro yeah I just don't understand if it's like a manufacturing issue. I know, you know, Shanghai is about to shut down again. So is Hong Kong. So maybe if that's where Ultra Pro manufactures everything, that explains it. But 
where does this other company that charges less than Ultra Pro under normal circumstances manufacturing these that they can get them here more cost effectively? Mm -hmm. So, Got just it. An, an interesting thing. But no, it hasn't been a noticeable okay. impact on the bottom line. Because you've been able to pivot. Yep. Right. And you're not an individual reseller, so to speak. So you don't have to worry about putting everything in it in a top order because you have cases at the LGS. You have backstock boxes to hold things securely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I will say one interesting anecdote about the supply chain issues and like gouging. Uh, mm -hmm. So this weekend at the National, penny sleeves were six dollars for a thing of penny sleeves and they were selling. Yeah. One rows were ten dollars. And they were selling. Yeah. Like. If you Wild. yeah, we're in the wrong business. All right, penny sleeves are named as such because they're literally a dollar per pack, plus tax. of a hundred. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, of a hundred, yeah. plus tax. And like the BCW thing, if you if that's who you're using for your one rose, is still so weird because even like you should set up an account and you should just order the minimum requirement through BCW if you have the room to store like 200 of them because that's all yeah. you'll ever need in your life. You just get the account. It's like a Costco membership. You yeah. get a Costco membership, you buy all the paper towels, hand soap, and dish soap you'll ever need for your life in the, on that one trip, yep. and that's it. You're done. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it before, and I recommend it again because I keep tripping over myself buying like BCW boxes 10 and 20 at a time because I just don't have the room. Like, God, this sucks, man. Yeah. All right sucks pickens so i went yes. la first last time i think i don't know yes you did okay. i'll go first this time and keep it with the lgs theme yep so this is entirely anecdotal there is no information to back this up other than what i have seen at my store and seen at a couple of other stores and my pick is inspiring vantage mm -hmm. why featherless feather uh people are starting to play it in pioneer here locally uh i don't think the deck's that great but the meta is completely different thanks to wizards actually paying attention to stuff that needs to be banned. Yep. Looking at you next, Ledger Shredder. Uh, I think that this is a card that has room for growth. We are seeing a little bit of a spike on the stocks graph, obviously. Yeah. But uh, the one thing that makes me a little bit cautious on this now, well, sorry, before that. All right. I would go about four to eight teeth. I only want to play set or two. Yeah. I think price-wise here, what you're looking at is what we saw with Blackleaf Cliffs and the Scars Lands, right? At one point, they hit a 20 to $30 price point each. Uh, Blackleaf being the prime example because Jund ran it. Yes. Uh, Vantage, you're sitting at like 6 $7 right now. If this doesn't get a reprint anytime soon, when we go into Dominaria, to Brothers War, to whatever plane we're revisiting for the 12th time next year, that is themed after color combinations because they all are mm -hmm. uh, cards like inspiring vantage are going to see more play and see more value yeah I, obviously spire bluff is already up there i well, yeah i wanted to find that for a moment cards like inspiring vantage aren't just fast lands they're the enemy colored lands and those are almost always more important than the ally color lands. so i just want to make sure we're yep. those are the five right yeah uh you've got spire bluff vantage um, I have them all up. Botanical Blooming Marsh, Sanctum, Concealed Blooming Courtyard. Marsh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Those those are where you want to be. And if you look at Spire Bluff, we're already at twenty dollars. Well, looking at where Spire or where Blackleaf was when it was thirty, Dark Slick, Razor Verge, mm -hmm. all those were in the twenty to twenty five range still. Even when Blackleaf started hitting the thirty thirty five range. Yeah. Uh, so there is ostensibly room for a double up here. Uh, in terms of timeline, 
it's going to be closer to the Pro Tour. I think November is probably when you may see something like this surge, especially if a deck like Featherless Feather takes off and does really well on stream. Uh, I, I cannot understate enough because we're coming away from a time period where streamed coverage didn't exist, yep. uh, even before COVID. Stream coverage was something they got rid of. You didn't really have it. You just have Twitch. Uh, DreamHack does incredibly good event coverage. If this event is streamed, you are going to see multiple cards quad up and quarter down over the course of that stream because it hasn't happened for a while and we're getting back to the point where that is a thing that can happen. Yes. And I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. And it represents a very big opportunity if you are prepared for it ahead of time because oftentimes you can see Bylas fluctuate in event on like a Star City Games. Yep. So it's something to pay attention to that does allow you to get a little bit of profitability. Again, though, I wouldn't be at more than like at most three play sets on this because this isn't really something you want in EDH. Nope. It's something you only want in 60 card constructed, which means it's going to move as a two to four of yes. only. Yep. Um, I think three for me is the bare minimum I would go, but that's because I have a healthy modern metagame across two stores, and this is also a foundational land for the Boros Burn deck, which is yeah. the burn deck in modern. Uh, as far as Pioneer is concerned, I was just taking a look real quick on uh, MTG decks, and Boros Feather is, over the last 60 days, the last as-defined uh, Tier 1 deck, so it's basically since uh, the banning, and it moves up the closer you get to essentially the start of RCQs. We might have another banning in between now and uh, DreamHack or DreamHack and the Pro Tour, which jockeys the format and being on what is effectively like the second best land is also not a bad position if you want to go for the long term. Yeah. And I, But I think the long term is literally like Jan 2023, whenever yeah. the Pro Tour is. And then exactly like you said, you, you hawk regionals coverage and you hawk pro tour coverage world's coverage and you just move as necessary because this goes in two formats modern and pioneer yep and i'd like to get in on anything that is uh, up and coming and so looking at this card we can see it in prices and we can see it in the metagame difference as you narrow the the band of time is an up and as an up and coming deck especially something untapped like this yeah no again uh for me, I'm sticking with big dumb EDH cards, but we're moving into black for, I think, the first or second time ever instead of green. Yeah. And we are looking at Archfiend of Depravity, a five-drop demon with flying. And the important part on this card is the triggered ability that says, at the beginning of each opponent's end step, that player chooses up the two creatures he or she controls, then sacrifices the rest. If that sounds familiar, I will tell you why in a little bit as we actually discussed the card. This has been on my short list of cards since the end of March this year. CK was buying 74 at $1.30. There were 185 on TCG Player at $4. And right now, Card Kingdom is buying 65 at two and a quarter. And there are 159 on TCG Player at 336. So Card Kingdom, buy quantity down, but buy price up. TCG Market, quantity down price down so it's selling in both locations and that's why we're moving into this we don't really care that car kingdom is buying fewer right now than they were before and we don't care that their that tcg market is going down because this is still people just exiting a card that i believe they bought into thinking the spike price would hold 
around uh, based on New Capenna. Yeah. Like Strixhaven into New Capenna. We'll talk about that in a moment. So, where does this sit in Commander? Well, it's another card that I believe is a duck on water. On the surface, it looks and functions like a, a control card and finisher, but under the surface, it slots into most themes that want to play a medium to long game. So you're not just playing control, you could just be dirtily. You could be a, you could be a mono four and five drops dot deck, and it's going to take you a long time to get there, and Archfiend ensures that you can. Yep. As, but when you look on this card a little more holistically, on Wreck, you see this goes into Demon Trial Tribal. This goes into Sacrifice Tribal, decks like Vax of Mundar. This goes into Control, and the odds and ends aggro deck like Kalia of the Past. But Archfiend plays all through Commander themes, and like the slow and controlling nature plays against the popularity of the card as not a lot of players and groups like it when games slow down to a glacial pace so regardless of theme and purpose of the deck archfiend plays the same in each because it's very on the nose and players have to want to lean into that now uh, as commander decks become more aggressive and leaner and start to rely on multi-purpose cards i expect popularity of this to actually uptick because this is a board wipe and control card that also serves as a finisher and powerful reanimation slash cheat in target because unlike deathbringer Regent, which requires you to cast from your hand to get the board wipe this just has to be in play at the end of your opponent's turn so if you can just slam jam it in there by all means you got it the timeline on this little interesting so market price finally trending upward after stagnation and the crash from strixhaven and new capenna expectations trending upward like violet's price so taking three months to retrace back up i would expect that if we buy in now as biolist is also rising accordingly we'll be able to move quantity to biolist for profit in another three months solidly out at six when quantity quantity drains from the market which I will talk about in a bit. Now, reprint equity. This I is difficult. We have not seen a true reprint, but I would expect this to be in a commander set at some point. So while this is a card that can turn a game into mud, it's not too over the top for a commander product. Now, what this is over the top for is digital play, and this is what you might be familiar with. The history of this card on Modo is fraught with problems based around the user interface, and while I wouldn't expect that to weigh much on whether or not to reprint a card like this, the user experience is important, as well as access and accessibility is a concern as well, and this might throw a wrench into a standard reprint. Commander yeah. is fine because not all those cards make it to Moto or Arena, but a standard reprint is the difficulty in this. And so what happened with this card is like Lily Vale, where players didn't understand the box they were being presented because the verbiage, uh, the verbiage used in the box read like fact or fiction. Yep. And people would always choose the pile with all the creatures to keep, and so it would just literally wrath the board. And when I say all the creatures, I mean all of them that weren't the two in the other box and so it yeah. would just wrath the entire board and it was just a miserable experience and there was no bug to fix on moto so they just left it it is as it was and if that ever hits arena i expect it to be a little cleaner but it still has to go through moto because it's yeah. a standard card and that's why i wouldn't expect a standard reprint i would expect a commander reprint now 
even if we did get a reprint, I would expect this card to recover fairly well as people have finally begun to utilize this card after years of obscurity, though it will be a slow rebound. And that talks to the multifaceted nature of this card as a control card and an aggressive card. And the fact that it's on the nose and tell you, tells you what it's going to do up front, as long as you're, again, you're okay with that glacial game pace. Yeah. Game uh, by quantity. Right now, the sales VLO is rather slow. We're seeing approximately four a day move, so I'd be happy with rounding out a dozen or so copies at the, uh, what is it, $3.36 it is. So that would be about, yeah, 38 to $39 if you're able to get them all from one vendor after tax. Currently, I have close to that between set and promo versions because people were just burning these cards when they were in standard. And I'm happy keeping them and possibly buying in a little more because my uh, my cost was so low to begin with. And I don't know. I just expect this card to eventually continue to see slow, slow play and adoption. I think one of the interesting things about this in terms of reprint equity is while it's not explicitly plane specific... Nope. The fact that it has a con watermark mm -hmm. on it marks it as plane specific. Yeah. So I think you're right. I don't think even outside of the accessibility, the online interface, anything, I don't think we can see this in a standard set unless we go back to cons, but I feel like fate wrapped up that storyline pretty well. Or because it's got uh, the Sultai mark on it, we have to see another wedge set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ikoria wasn't necessarily a wedge set, but with the wedge triomes, that could have been a good location for this. The spike, like I said, was at Strixhaven and held into yeah. the streets because people expected uh, this obviously to not get reprinted there, but be utilized in some way, shape, or form because there was going to be some kind of demon theme. And then that just didn't really, the demon theme didn't play out. So there wasn't a clamoring for this card because of demons yeah uh and and i think too i guess i should say unless we go back to Car to tarkir or when we go to dominaria we start using the real names and calling it anna but okay yeah i'm old anna That's deca fine. set up Raka, necra yeah necra Raka. Yeah. yeah yep yep yeah and if, if you're interested in this card and picking it up, I do suggest looking at, at EDH rec in terms of the commander utility because, again, you're going to see a, a, a lot here, and what you'll see up top is just a ton of mono black, but the more you just dig around into some of the, the lower pop commanders, you'll see where this card actually gets used, and I think a lot of utilization is kind of outside rec, like I said, and... In, in groups that really want to elicit these long games. Like, yeah, sure, Kalia's on that list, but there are so many better demons to play in a Kalia of the Vast deck when you're trying to take out the first player by, like, turn three or turn four. Archfiend yeah. doesn't do that. Archfiend just keeps the game going. I play this in Crush the Bloodbraided because, you know what, that stacks Crush and Crush ends the game. Or I play this in mm -hmm. Gitrock because I wanted a mud game state, and I wanted to just take advantage of that mud game state. I lean yeah. in. I don't play this in Dromark, which is a control deck. I have better spells for this. I have better finishers to go get. I play Rune Scar Demon in this spot because it does more and is, is a 6-6. Six -six. Yeah. I don't need a continuous Wrath in that deck. But there are a lot of people who do want that. 
demon tribal is very real and should not be downplayed, despite the fact that Stocks is telling you that you should downplay it. That downtick after Streets of New Capenna, where people are like, we didn't get any good demon cards, so just shove in market price. And that's literally what you see when you when you look at the, the Stocks graph, is people are just being like, ah, F this card, we didn't get the demon lord we wanted. Well, yeah. you don't need the demon lord. Like, you could just play Razaketh. And then just play demons. They're not all synergistic. Play any one of the Omnixili. They're not synergistic. You just have keyword demon. Like, who cares? Just play the card. Yep. And that's where I think we are right now. People have stopped caring, and they're just playing the card. And, again, you know, four a day is not the most compelling number to see when you're looking at this card, but the population is pretty low overall, and that's one of the other things that I really like. It's like, population's going to drain in the next couple of months, even at four a day. Yeah, and you're better safe than sorry as market price is kind still kind of low, still rebounding, and Bialis is moving up. So that's why that's why I, one of the reasons why I like this card again, like that inverse of, of of numbers right now, and the fact that we can get in ahead of time. For sure, uh, and I I think it's also worth noting, you know, if you take a look, like I I just filtered on TCG Player. There's like 200 listings, Nierman LP, if you count every single language. Mm -hmm. If you don't count every single language and you just go for English, it's only 169. That's like a week, two. Yeah. It's not long. No, exactly. That That's what I'm saying. You know, at an average of about, you know, four a day. That's that, pretty good. Exactly. That drains a lot faster than you would think. There's 280, 248 listings of the set version, all languages, 46 of the Arch Enemy reprint, 76 of uh, an, an alt art promo that I forgot where it came from. Intro and, deck. Intro deck. There you go. And 22 of the pre release cards. You know, that's 300, almost 400 totals cut. Total for a card from that era is very low. Yeah, so that's about a hundred days total across all of them at moving a quantity for. Yeah, per day. And any uptick changes, shortens that time span, and then we see a spike, and here we are getting a three and change piece. For comparison, there are two hundred and eighty-seven windswept heath listings <laughs> <laughs> across just cons. So, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. And that's why I like this card. Solid. I think it's going to be it for us this week. Uh, we will have, as mentioned earlier, a, well, an economic episode coming up. We're just trying to figure out how many episodes it's going to be because it's like every time we go to schedule it, there's something new and interesting going on in regards to inflation or recession, and that's more bullet points and more to talk about. So once we figure out how many episodes it's going to take, we'll record we'll do it. But until then... We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. If you want to get in touch with us, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.